from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. What makes this night different from other nights? This is a question that would have been echoed hundreds of thousands of times in hundreds of thousands of homes during the night of Passover as Jesus gathered with His disciples for the Last Supper. At that time, every Jew who was able to travel would journey to Jerusalem to join in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, presenting their sacrifices to the temple and celebrating the Passover meal in their homes. The Jewish, Jewish historian Josephus puts the number of sacrifices at 256,500. That's 265,500 lambs brought to the temple to be sacrificed. An ocean of blood poured out by the priests of the temple. A shocking reminder that the Passover was both a sacrifice and a feast. Jesus and His disciples, having participated in the Passover since their youth, would have watched as the lambs were skewered from top to bottom and lanced through the shoulders from side to side. And the lambs were then skinned and prepared for Passover meals to be served in the Jewish pilgrims' houses. Jesus and His disciples would have witnessed the priest laying hold of the bread of presence, holy food that was kept in a temple on a golden table day and night that symbolized God's presence and covenant. And in the first century, the priest would take this, the bread of presence, and they would bring it out in front of the people, and they would say, behold God's love for you, symbolized by the presence of the enduring presence of God. And after all these festivities, the disciples would retire to the upper room to partake of their own Passover meal. Now, if you're familiar with a Seder meal, that's not exactly what this was. The Seder meal didn't come around until um, some decades later, but this was a sort of proto-Seder, a ritual meal, and it was shaped around four cups of wine. And so, as we walk through the Passover meal this evening, as we walk through the Last Supper of Jesus and His disciples, I'd like us to be anchored in these four cups of wine that we're going to go through. There was the Kiddush, the cup of sanctification. The Haggadah, the cup of proclamation. The Berakha, the cup of blessing. And the Hallel, the cup of praise. Four cups that shaped the contours of their meal. As Jesus and His disciples reclined at the table, they would have mixed the first cup, the cup of sanctification, pouring into the cup some wine with a little water. Jesus would have blessed the meal, and the dishes would have been brought out, bread, bitter herbs, a bowl of sauce, and the body of the Passover lamb. And the sanctification process is what prepared them to enter into the ritual meal. Then it was time for the second cup, the, the cup of proclamation. And now this cup would be mixed, and in a typical Jewish household, the son would ask his father, why is this night different from other nights? 
And the father would explain, we were slaves to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And the Lord our God took us out from there with a strong hand and an outstretched forearm. And I don't want us to miss this language of we, this language of participation, because that language would continue. The Passover ritual was no mere recollection or a mere memory preserving some sense of distance between them and the actual events. Instead, it was a reactualization. This is hard for us in the modern world. We don't understand mystical time and space as well as our ancestors did, but it doesn't make it any less real. In ritual participation, the past and the present are folded together, and we become one and the same acts as those who came before us. And so, in the Passover meal, as they're recounting the history of God's covenant with His people, there was this sense of reactualization that each person participated for himself in the exodus of Moses. Each person was to participate for themselves in the freeing from bondage and the passing through of the waters of the sea of death into life. The exodus was not a journey that was taken by others for a younger generation, but a journey that each person was expected to walk, joined by members of the community. And so, as Jesus brings out the second cup, the cup of proclamation, the disciples are sitting there anticipating this question. But that's not what Jesus does. Instead, Jesus, sitting here with disciples, does not recount the exodus of Moses, but He takes bread, and when He gives thanks, He breaks it, and He gives it to His disciples, and He says, this is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. This language of remembrance in this sacrificial context would have been unmistakable. In Greek, anamnesis, it's not the language of memory, as in a memorialization or you're remembering somebody's birthday party. It's the language of participation, not of recollection, but of reactualization. We are about to engage in a ritual together, joining with those who came before us. In this moment, it is in this moment that Jesus was instituting a new covenant with God's people, one that was no longer limited by the frailties of man, but secured in the sacrifice of God. And He was promising His everlasting presence with His people. This is why Jesus began with an emphasis on the bread. Have you thought about that? They had a lamb in front of them. Why bread? What's the significance of bread? Have you ever wondered that? Well, recall the bread of presence that was lifted before the people. Behold God's love for you. The bread that symbolized God's covenant, His, His everlasting agreement with His people and His continuing presence among them. Recall Jesus' last words to His disciples in the Gospel of Matthew, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And so we may wonder, how is Christ, the true bread of presence, with us? The disciples, having traveled with Jesus, would hearken back to an episode of Jesus in John 6, when He's feeding 5,000 with loaves of bread. Surely you're, you're familiar with this, with this event. And Jesus responding to those who would follow Him in light of that miracle, because if someone shows up and can multiply a great deal of bread, you might want to find out what they're about. Would you agree? 
So the disciples come, and, they, and, they, um, and so his would-be disciples come up to follow him. And then Jesus says, I myself am the bread of life, and those who do not consume me cannot come to the Father. Jesus broke the bread, and he said, this is my body which is given for you. It is through this act, the breaking of the bread, that Jesus' identity is made known to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and it is through our participation in the Eucharist that He is made known to us even now. Not merely a sign of His presence, as was the manna in the Exodus of Moses, but Jesus Himself come among us. So that brings us to the third cup. After Jesus has, during the cup of proclamation, explained to us His intent and His future with us, it brings us to the third cup, the cup of blessing. Now, as Jesus is engaged in this meal with His disciples, this cup would be mixed and set aside, signaling the beginning of supper. It was not actually until after the meal was consumed that the third cup would then be blessed and drunk, signaling that the third stage of the Passover, the supper, was complete. Luke records Jesus after the meal, taking this, the third cup, the cup of blessing, and He said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And as Paul writes, we are to drink it in remembrance of Jesus. There's that word. Yet, if Christ's body is true food and His blood is true drink, how are we to consume it? In Scripture, there are prohibitions in the Old Testament against consuming the blood of slain animals. You could not consume an animal that was strangled. Why? The blood was still in the animal. In Acts 15, at the Council of Jerusalem, Christians were reaffirmed as being forbidden from consuming blood. And this is because all pre-modern cultures understood intuitively that the life was in the blood. This is why some Native American cultures would consume the blood of animals that they felled to derive, to gain the life that was in the blood. This is why cannibals would drink the blood of their enemies, and this is why in stories vampires drink the blood of their victims. The life is in the blood. And yet Christ calls us to drink His blood, to consume Him in this manner, and in this manner abide with Him, to share in His life. The Eucharist that we are about to consume is no empty symbol, but it is the very life of Christ given for us to purify us and to lend us strength. Now, after Jesus has consumed the third cup and instituted this rite, He does something that would have been even more baffling to His disciples, to any first-century Jew. He ends the Passover unfinished. He neither mixes, nor blesses, nor drinks the fourth cup. Instead, He declares that He will not drink the fruit of the vine again until the kingdom of God comes. And as recorded in Mark, they end the Passover meal with the Hillel, the traditional hymn, and depart for the Mount of Olives to a place called Gethsemane. as we come together tonight to participate in this Last Supper along with the disciples and Jesus. We're beginning 
the Holy Triduum, the Holy Three Days of Easter, and are gathered alongside the disciples to participate in this Last Supper. And in a few moments, we're going to approach the altar, which is the Lord's own table, and we're going to eat in and of His presence. And as we do so, we're going to remember His promise that He will be with us always. And likewise, we're going to drink His blood of the new covenant so that we may be purified and imbued with Jesus' own life and strength. Because after we consume this meal, we're about to journey with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane and from there to the cross. As you'll recall, it's in the garden that Jesus prays three times, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Lord, let the fourth cup pass from me. For it is this cup, the cup of praise, for which we praise God for what He has done for us because we are saved through what He has done for us. But for Jesus, this cup of praise was the cup of wrath poured out on Him. And yet Jesus says to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. And true to His Word, as we are gathered tomorrow to join Jesus in His suffering, He will refuse the wine mixed with gall that has offered Him to numb His pain. It will not be until, on the cross, dying for our sake and for the sake of the whole world, that Jesus will finally say, I thirst. And it is only when Jesus receives this wine that this, the Last Supper, will be completed, and His last words will be, it is finished. And we will bear witness to our sins that drove Him to the cross, laying our fears, our failures, and our resentments at His feet. And we will put to death that which is earthly in us, the sins and snares that easily entangle us. These acts, faithfully engaged in, will take all our strength and more. You may ask, why be sustained for the journey? What do we need of the knowledge of Christ's presence and His strength and His life to support us? It's because there's nothing, nothing so much as the condemnation of our sins laid bare that places us in greater danger of losing the hope and faith that would otherwise sustain us. For this past uh, nearly a year now, I've been spending about somewhere between 14, 10 to 14 hours a week in an inpatient substance use facility and speaking to and hearing people's stories. And what you find if you have any experience with friends or family that are in recovery and engaged in a 12-step program is there's one place where nearly all of them will go off track, somewhere, like, somewhere approximating 85%. And that's the fourth step. The reason being the fourth step is to make a fearless and searching moral inventory of ourselves. And there's nothing like looking at our sins laid bare and our faults that will drive us into shame and consume and cripple us. So why do we need this supper? Why do we need the blood of Christ to give us life and strength? Why do we need the bread of His presence to go alongside us? Because He Himself will walk alongside us to the cross, 
and aid us in giving up of ourselves to Him and facing those things about us that we would cling to if only in our guilt and shame we are too afraid to let them go. So I would encourage you as we approach the altar today to engage with the disciples in the Last Supper 2,000 years ago. Approach Christ and take all that He offers to you. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.